Drax is the largest provider of renewable electricity in the UK and plays a critical role in ensuring a secure energy system. The company has plans to invest billions in new infrastructure, such as bioenergy with carbon capture and storage, which will create thousands of jobs, whilst also delivering the energy needed by homes and businesses up and down the UK. Discover more at Drax.com. Welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. Scottish Labour is back, winning a majority of 9,000 in the Rutherglen and Hamilton West by-election, overturning what had been an SNP majority of 5,000. I'm Fraser Nelson, and I'm joined by Ian McQuarter in Edinburgh and Katie Balls in London. Ian, talk us through what has just happened. Yeah, for, for once, the, uh, the term seismic actually does measure up to the significance of this by-election. Now, of course, the SNP are insisting it's only one re- results, only one by-election, a special one, because Margaret Ferrier, their MP, remember, was, uh, was sacked and removed in a recall ballot because she broke COVID rules. But nevertheless, you know, there's no way that you can spin this. It's hugely significant, a 20% swing uh, to Labour. If this was replicated at the next general election, it would mean that the uh, Scottish Labour Party would win back all the seats, all the 40 seats that they lost in the 2015 tsunami uh, general election to the SNP. Remember, that was in the backwash to the referendum. So we really are seeing a change in the air here in Scotland, and it's enormously significant. Katie, how will this go down in Westminster? So I think this was always the by-election, which... Uh, should worry ministers the most in government in the sense that you've had multiple by-elections which are bad for the Tories in the sense they could lose them to Labour. They lost their um, deposit this time around. Yes, um, but the reason this should worry them is not actually so much think what happened to the Scottish Conservatives because we can talk about the factors in a by-election. It is the fact that it shows you that strong Labour recovery. It's been talked about, but from this result, it seems evident that it is there in place and therefore all the polling suggesting that the S- SNP could be pushed aside and Scottish Labour could be the largest party after the next election. Um, that does now, I think, have a lot more weight to it. And there are some who are you know, being a bit hesitant about whether they believed in it. And if that is the case, that makes Keir Starmer's path to winning a majority in Westminster a lot simpler. It means that, you know, the task, I think the challenge in England, if those polls tighten, it is less daunting if there is the Scottish Labour recovery. So I think that you always have Tory ministers in two minds in the sense they're delighted when Nicola Sturgeon looked like she was in trouble. They're even more delighted when she was chose to go. But there is a point where they start to worry their SNP misery is turning into something which looks like this really big Scottish Labour success, which starts to be more problematic in terms of what happens to the Conservative Party. So I think that's how it'll be seen here. And if you just look at those numbers, so the fact that so in 2019, in that general ele- general election, the SNP won a rather glen with a majority of 5,230. This is a 20.4 percentage point swing to Labour from the SNP. Professor John Curtis, the polling expert, was saying, you know, if they get a double digit uh, swing, they're doing very well. I think to get to 20 points was even better than lots of figures imagined. And now they are on a very comfortable majority of 9,446. Now, usual caveats apply. 
you cannot, even though you know you take this result, this would be amazing result, and it's replicated for Labour in a general election. It is still a by-election. The turnout is below forty percent, and the circumstances were ultimately a former SNP MP who was disgraced and broke COVID uh, rules, and it's also tends to be the case in by-elections where you do get that protest vote against the governing party. But I still think the level of the swing suggests that this is more than just your average, you know, kicking the governing party down and that the Scottish Labour recovery is looking strong. Ian, when we look at the Westminster seats held in Scotland right now, the SNP have got 44, the Tories have got six, Scottish Tories have got six, Labour are down on just two seats, the same as Alex Salmon's Alba party. So when we're looking at the, 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 the various aftermath of the SNP scandals, the police investigation into Nicola Sturgeon and her husband, are we looking now at Scot- Scottish Labour going from two seats, I don't know, to about 20 and the Scottish Conservatives might be lucky to get six more seats. But it seems as if Scottish Labour are going to significantly rise in the next election, making it significantly more likely that Keir Starmer is going to end up in number 10. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably over-optimistic to think they'll recover all the seats they lost in uh, 2015, but they could. I mean, you know, Scottish politics is extremely volatile just now. And there's very interesting um, ideological and political repositioning taking place here beneath uh, all the the sturm and drang, if you like, of the uh, horror show that the Scottish National Party has become uh, in the six months or so since Hamza Yusuf took over. You know, the the arrests of Nicola Sturgeon and her release, the arrests of other senior figures in the cash for camper vans scandal, as it's called, the chaos of deposit return scheme, the ferry scandal, um, the the running sword, the gender recognition bill, which is still stalled uh, under Section 35, of the uh, Scotland Act, and, but also Hamza Yousaf's removing the SNP further to the left, to the green left, uh, you know, saying they'll keep oil in the ground. He's opposed to the Rosebank oil and gas field being developed. The, the, his, his commitment to increasing taxation, increasing uh, progressive taxation in Scotland. He's, he's now effectively committed to increasing the tax burden on those earning 50,000, even more than it is at the moment. Um, and Labour, who used to be significantly to the left of Nicola Sturgeon on many of these issues as recently as 2019, has now moved significantly to the right and is now tacking to uh, <laughs> almost conservative uh, rhetoric on things like taxation. Because during Rother Glen, Labour's message here was not that they're going to increase taxation, but taxation is already high enough and that Scots are not getting enough for it. Labour, as Anasawa now says, has a presumption against tax increases. Uh, Sarwar has also accepted uh, that the uh, Rosebank oil and gas field will go ahead. He says that fossil fuels are going to be needed for decades to come, just like Rishi Sunak has been saying. Um, they even opposed the ULES, actually, the, the low emission zone extension in Glasgow recently. So Labour's rhetoric is changing very markedly on that too. Uh, but also on the Gender Recognition Bill, which, as you remember, formed the backdrop to Nicola Sturgeon's uh, shock resignation in February, uh, which is now vetoed under Section 35 of the uh, Scotland Act. That Labour voted for that. Sarwar whipped his MPs to vote for that bill only last year. Now he says he wouldn't support it again, that women need protections for their single-sex spaces. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> Labour is being attacked as it has been in times past, but even more so now, 
uh, by nationalists and the Labour left as being red Tories on, on Twitter X. That's what uh, you'll, you'll see uh, all over today and for the rest of this week. And he seems entirely relaxed about that. Now, that's, that's the extraordinary thing. Labour is now significantly to the right of the SNP, and it's winning. It's winning an astonishing victory here. If you listen to Katie Loudon, the SNP candidate, well, she stopped talking about independence altogether and tax. She was Her themes were, um, if I remember rightly, her top line was um, uh, uh, tax relief on pensions and um, you know, uh, getting more money back in your pocket. So, I mean, there's a, extraordinary changes taking place in the undergrowth of Scottish politics. And I think there is a, a very definite change in the political weather here. And while the Tories, as you rightly say, lost their deposit here, they're miles behind, they're hopeless in Scotland, they don't figure really at all. But interestingly, Douglas Ross, their beleaguered leader, might well say uh, or take some comfort that their low-tax, very unionist message, Labour is not having anything to do with an independence referendum in Scotland, even though Jeremy Corbyn uh, said he favours one, uh, on many of these issues, you're now seeing uh, Labour adopting much of the Tories' uh, position. So, Katie, if Scottish voters are moving to the right and the messages that they're responding to and want to hear, one party that's not benefiting is the Conservatives. Now, is that simply because other parties are, are, are basically stealing Tory clothes and wearing them better? Or was it with this case that the Tories just didn't really fight this election. I mean, I was speaking to some Scottish Tories at the conference in Manchester, and they were saying, look, we're putting up a candidate, but we're going to do not much more than this, because this particular election is necessary to break the back of nationalism. So it seemed, and by the way, can I just say, as somebody who normally would support the Conservative Party, I'm delighted about this emphatic Labour victory, because as a unionist, it's more important to me that there is a strong unionist party back in Scotland than there is the Conservatives. So I, I, I'm, I'm wondering if the extent of a Labour victory here is explained by tactical voting amongst Conservatives, whether Tory voters would have voted for Labour in this seat at this time. I think that's definitely an element. And as you say, it was the case that the Scottish Conservatives weren't really in this race. I think it was very much seen as a Labour SNP contest. Um, the reason it worried Tory ministers more just to see how strong is that Labour resurgence and you know where are the Scottish Conservatives going to come. Now, undoubtedly, if they could have got 5% and kept the £500, that is a less embarrassing headline for the Scottish Tories. But generally speaking, this is not something where they've been trying particularly hard. And I think when you've spoken to Scottish Labour in recent weeks, I mean, they've been ploughing resources and time. Um, I was speaking to one activist, you know, every Shadow Cabinet member has been told they had to go to the seat Um speaking to one activist who said, you know, when they were knocking on doors last weekend, you know, uh, the message I got said, the people of Rutherglen are really bored of hearing from us, which is a good sign. And they said, you know, not you again on the doors. So Scottish Labour running a really intensive campaign, uh, one in which they wanted, you know, not just activists, but also leading Labour politicians from Westminster there. And then you had uh, the Scottish Conservatives not really visible in the same way. I think it does pose an interesting question though which is what should the tactics be for the Scottish Tories in a general election because Douglas Ross previously talked about how you know uh, there could be times when Scottish Tories should vote for Scottish Labour and those comments did not land very well I think to put it very very mildly 
with Downing Street. They wanted to say, you know, every vote, uh, you know, if you were a conservative voter in Scotland, always vote conservative. Whereas Douglas Ross was making a, probably this more pragmatic argument, one could say, um, about looking at the seat, looking at what is going to stop the SNP and then having that tactical voting. The idea being there'll be some seats, particularly in the North East, where tactical voting could work in Scottish Tories' favour um, if, if you see Labour votes moving over that unionist vote. And perhaps this result will lend more to that argument. I think the problem is if Scottish Labour look really dominant, which this result does a bit, it's harder to, you know, say that, you know, uh, where there are seats, you know, for example, I'm thinking East Lothian, where I am from, where, you know, in the past, uh, Scottish Conservatives have managed to get, you know, a fair number of the votes, but often it splits with Scottish Labour. Quite clearly, I think Scottish Labour will be able to take this result and say, we are the clear unionist party, um, Scottish Tories should give us your results. So I think it gets harder to do that message if Scottish Labour look very, very strong. Ian, the headline in your um, piece you wrote for the Spectator Coffee House this morning was the SNP hegemony in Scotland is over. Now, is, is that how it feels to you, that this is a sort of historic landmark by-election, that this is the... Um, or do you think that um, it would take a general election, in which case I can imagine quite a few people who normally vote Scottish Conservative thinking to themselves, look, Sunak's not going to win this election, but the greater opportunity here is to, is to basically break the SNP's lead. So I'm wondering if this tactical voting that we would have seen in Rutherglen might actually stay for the general election amongst those Scottish Tories who think that the idea of a, another Tory government is a lost cause. Uh, yeah, I think this is a very significant by-election. It's like Govan 78, it's like Hamilton's 67, but in reverse. I think this does mark Labour's return uh, uh, to uh, electoral support in Scotland, and it's a, a turning point for the SNP, and they realise this. I mean, the SNP is deeply divided, it's squabbling amongst itself, it doesn't know where it's going. Large sections of the party hate the uh, coalition with the Scottish Green Party and blame them for much of the troubles that they're experiencing, not least in Rutherglen. And remember that the, the Greens, despite all their uh, protestations about the planet burning only got 600 votes in Rutherglen. So they're, they're not doing particularly well themselves. So, but as I say, it's not just that. I think there's a, a real change taking place in Scottish politics and a re-evaluation of many of the kind of themes that people assumed uh, were um, uh, close to Scottish political hearts. Hamza Yusuf comprehensively lost the argument over Rosebank. I mean, even he kind of concedes that now. I mean, most Scottish voters, opinion polls confirm this, accept that broadly, broadly speaking, it makes sense to use domestically, domestic oil and gas, uh, even in the transition to renewables. Uh, it makes sense to use that rather than import it from abroad. There's, there's great disquiet amongst, among many of as more green policies, like the banning of boilers from 2020, banning of gas boilers from 2025, um, the whole row over. Uh, low emission zones, there's the, the questions about whether or not Scottish tenements are going to be forced to introduce vastly expensive heat pumps and even more costly insulation under legally blinding rules, which, which Hansa Youssef has said he now endorses. So that's, it's all that on top of this toxic issue of tax and spending. And the assumption has always been that Scots like are progressive, they like to think of themselves as being progressive, they like higher taxes on the rich. But actually, when it comes down to it, 
and there aren't all that many rich people in Scotland, remember, they aren't as enthusiastic about taxes when they actually see them happening. And Hamza Youssef more or less defined his uh, leadership uh, on his commitment to increasing taxes, to increasing a new band of taxes, to increase the burden of those earning more than £50,000 in Scotland, who, as I said, already earn considerably more than that. And Labour has sensed quite acutely that this is not going down well, nor are a lot of these green policies. And of course, you know, things like the Gender Recognition Bill, um, the Hate Crime Act, the, the, the genuflecting to the Greens is uh, hugely damaging to the SNP. Now they're stuck with that um, alliance with the Greens. They can't uh, undo it. Hamza Youssef has, a, has reaffirmed it repeatedly. He's reaffirmed the Butte House Agreement. He's sticking with it. He's going down with the ship. So, you know, we can't obviously forecast that Labour are going to recover all their seats. But we can say, undoubtedly, the weather has changed. The SNP is no longer in complete control in Scotland, as it has been for most of the last decade. It no longer has hegemony over Scottish politics. The Labour Party is back, and more significantly, it's come back by tacking to the right, not the left. And that's going to leave uh, Hamza Yousaf extremely exposed, and the SNP even more divided. Uh, for the next few months as we round into this elect general election, which I think will mark the end of his, his leadership and will certainly draw a line under the SNP's attempts to, to uh, force another independence referendum. And I think that's right, but it's also worth pointing out that you know, there are still divisions within Labour. So Keir Starmer has certainly moved the Labour Party to the right. But yet we do see in Scottish Labour a few fractures. If you look at the candidate that has won uh, for Scottish Labour, he made very clear early on that he was Anasawa's guy and he represents Scottish Labour in Parliament rather than Keir Starmer. And that leaned in, I think, to the fact that the two-child benefit cap, that's something that Scottish Labour has said that they would, uh, you know, want to abolish. But Keir Starmer and Rachel Reeves has said they want to keep. Now, at the moment, I think, you know, the party is still towing the line. There's no mass rebellion, but it does just show you, I think, that while I think Scottish Labour in some ways have moved right, I think they are more sensitive and probably more to the left than Keir Starmer on, on a few positions. And we'll see how that goes on in the future. Ian McWhorter and Katie Balls, thank you very much for joining. <laughs>